1: Today's show is brought to you by the award-winning NordVPN. I've been using Nord for years now because it secures my internet traffic and keeps my data private, especially when traveling or on public Wi-Fi. NordVPN has servers in 60 countries, does not log your data, unlocks Netflix and other geographic restrictions on entertainment content, and has a 30-day money-back guarantee. To get the best deal on a subscription, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com slash Nord VPN or use the promo code BT Future. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Brad Chisholm. He's the CEO at Launch Factory. Brad, welcome to the show. Oh great to
0: be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah I'm really excited to have you on the show. I think what you guys are doing at Launch Factory is actually really innovative and cool. But maybe before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Well, I grew up in El Paso, Texas. Okay. Interesting. So what you went to university. What did you take and why?
0: Well, for undergrad, I was electrical engineering and math. Okay. Uh, I was going down that path. What got you um, passionate about you that know, I,
1: at an early age?
0: Uh Probably my dad. I mean, he was, he was a technical guy. He was an engineer and, and, um, you know, I really resonated with that. And so, um, and it, and I was good, it was something I was good at. Um, so not great. You know, I, I can't say that, but I, but it was, you know, I, I enjoyed those classes more. Um, and it seemed like something that would be interesting to do, but I really, you know, it kind of was a closet entrepreneur, so to speak. So, so I always had these, uh, ambitions and dreams of starting a company. Um, but never really told a lot of people about that.
1: Interesting. Okay, so you get out of school, walk us through your journey. You actually end up getting an MBA, but walk us through your career up until what you're doing at uh, Launch Factory.
0: Yeah, so I started off working for ST Microelectronics. They brought me to San Diego. And and that was a that was a you know, pretty cool job. But then, like a lot of semiconductor sites at that time, it got shut down. Um, and so I I had the choice: I could relocate to their Phoenix location, or I could take a job at at Spawar, which is a Navy research lab that happened to have its own um, semiconductor manufacturing research facility. Um, the thing that made my decision, I was dating this person at the time that is now my wife, and I really needed to see where that relationship would go. Gotcha. So uh, so I said goodbye to industry and hello to government R&D. Um, that is, I mean, those two worlds could not be more different, right? You're going sure. from, you know, I was working, you know, 12 to 13 hour days and it's high pressure, go, go, go all the time to, you know, government research where you get to do lots of really cool things. You couldn't tell anybody about it because it was <laughs> everything they did there was secret um but uh but there was just not a lot of pressure in terms of how many hours you were you basically you just sort of you worked as hard as your motivations uh took you and so um so it was a really big change and and it was there that I started working on one of the one of the technologies we were working on um got to know the inventor of it fairly well and and he and I decided that this might be something worse trying to license and commercialize. So that's where the MBA came in. So I had been, you know, as I, yeah, I mentioned I was a closet entrepreneur, right? So I was, I I really started thinking about, you know, I'd like to start my own business some, some point, but I knew nothing about business. And so I thought, well, you know, I can go start taking some classes and, and learn, learn about business. And so the MBA was really, really useful for me. Um, and the and the the faculty and staff were great. So when I when, I'm, when Richard Waters was the inventor of this technology that we licensed, but what we were able to do, every single class that had a project, I was, you know, they they let me use this technology as the subject matter for whatever the wherever the project might be. So oh, business plan writing class, you know, most marketing, um even even a finance class I did for financial forecasting exercises, we used this business and um It's
1: actually really smart. <laughs>
0: Oh, it was, it was amazing. Um, you know, it wasn't when I signed up to get the MBA, uh, that wasn't, I hadn't, that wasn't my objective, but that's, but after I got in and, and started talking to some of the professors, they're very supportive of this. So, um, and it, 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 we, we ended or ended my MBA program by going through business plan, uh, competitions. And, and that was really how the company was born. Um, we went through business plan competitions all across the country uh did and it worked out well because you know i had had to to license the technology i had to quit my job at the navy and and you know so i went to that went from my nice steady paycheck all the way down to zero and i think think of any of us that have either contemplated or done that know how uh (laughs) how much of a life change that can be uh paychecks are just really addictive and it's when you have to give up that paycheck habit it's a it's a rough Right. So I had saved up for about a year's worth of living expenses Okay. and, uh, had to go three years without a salary. So, so these business plan competitions, you win them, they, they pay money. And I ended up making about $75,000, uh, from just business plan competition winnings that I used to kind of help bridge that gap for the next two years. Wow. Um, yeah, so it, it was, it worked out really, really well, but, um, but more important than the money we got was the exposure and the network contacts we made through the process. Fair, so the, um, interesting. yeah. I mean, one of the biggest examples we met, uh, I met this guy, this is a We did rice business plan competition. We didn't even do very well there, but I met, met one of the judges. His name was Dan Piat. He gave me CEO level introduction to anybody in our target market space that I wanted to, talk oh, wow. to he just happened to have these contacts and he uh you know volunteered to make them available to me purely out of kindness there's no compensation for him he couldn't take compensation due to conflicts of interest with some of the his board positions he was on so um you know so so here we had a target market that we had no access to and i go to a competition and i meet somebody that's going to you know effectively open the door and roll out the red carpet um, we ended up with a strategic partner as a result of that, that, you know, we got funded on the order of $17 million over, wow. over, over several years. But I mean, it's just, a it was an amazing way to, to get going, um, to, to get in contact with, with, with somebody like that, that could really just make the difference at the snap of his fingers.
1: Very cool. So, so walk me through the journey of the rest of that company, because is that the one you you guys sold to uh, Google?
0: Yes, that's right. So, so that, that, that was a, uh, it was an, a, an amazing experience as a real roller coaster ride, because, sure. you know, and I think almost any of your startup stories often are, um, I mean, there's times where we almost went out of business and there's times where, you know, so it. It would get pretty desperate at times, but we we ended up with this one partner is actually in the oil and gas space. We were building a sensor that they would use, uh, we're interested in using anyway. Um, Well, that company went through all kinds of its own turbulent times. They ended up splitting into two different entities. Uh, We ended up going over to um, the spin out company where where the person that was put in charge of our project was one of the co-inventors of the sensor technology that we were being tasked with replacing. Oh, so, so there, yeah. So he he wasn't too he wasn't exactly happy to see us, um, and so that's uh, so things got fairly you know difficult at that time. That project ended up winding down. Then oil and gas kind of ran out of money there for a little while. So so we ended up having to do a major pivot over to consumer applications, um, and that's where uh, that's where we it ultimately led us to get acquired by Google, but. With what we did was we set up a, um, you know, strategic partnership process. Uh, what what that means is we we had had nat- networked our way to a number to about a I'd say about you know, uh, ten to twelve different large consumer companies networked to the decision maker level. And what we did was we told everybody, okay, we're looking for a strategic partner. And In some cases, we knew that really meant. Uh, we're looking to get acquired, but in other cases, it really meant strategic partner. And so, so we what we did was we said we we can only work with one because we're a small entity. We need to position this technology for consumer applications, and and we need a partner to help us do that. Um, you know, provide the funding. You know, the and and some of the and some some other support for that. So we're we're going along this process, and we started this in June. Um, at this point, we'd never we didn't have any never talked to anybody from Google. Didn't have any. Network contacts. Well, it turns out um, I get a call from a guy named Bob Peebler, who was the former CEO of our strategic strategic partner sponsor in the oil and gas space. He had he had retired, um, and he had met somebody from Google, talked to them about us, oh, and 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 set up a meeting. Right. So so the Google we meet Google the first time in July, and they end up giving us a term sheet in August. Wow. Uh, and yeah, I mean, this went fast.
1: They must have been um, looking for so, this, like your technology, or like maybe not necessarily from you guys, but like that technology you guys were building.
0: You know, it's a good question, and I don't, I don't know the answer. I mean, it was, okay. um, um, but but I can tell you what I speculate. So this okay. is, you know, may or may not actually be the case, but but you know, because of the, we were getting a lot of attention from some pretty significant players, um, and you know, you go to the Bay Area it's a small world right so so um so bottom line is you know google knew we had something interesting and and i think they saw a race they could win um the when you look at how google's m&a team operates when they want something i they they can move so incredibly Mm -hmm. fast and and everybody else just couldn't move as fast as they did and and google won as a result so i think i think it was um I think it was more of an opportunistic play that that Google did in our case, um, but it is true that they they do have a number of things we're always looking for, and there's an underlying strategy and all of that. And and but they're pretty good at at keeping some of that under wraps. So even after you work there, you don't always you don't always get to know the the details. So um, but yeah, so they they ended up swooping in and and acquiring us, and it's just sort of you know interesting when you look at it because we you know we got our start out of the uh you know out of the business plan competitions where we meet Dan well because of Dan we meet Bob and because of Bob we met uh we met Google and if you just look at that that little chain there the the likelihood of that occurring uh is really really small, and none of it was anything that we did intentionally, meaning that you know we didn't meet Dan on purpose I didn't identify him and go seek him out uh you know we did we did seek this relationship with a, a strategic partner but But a retired CEO looking out for your best interest when he has no personal stake in the game is not something you would normally expect. Um, But but you obviously left a
1: really good impression on him if he was basically pitching your company to other companies, especially when he has no skin in the game, right? Like, obviously, you impressed him and, and your company and what you guys were doing, so... I, like, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I also think that's really good advice. Like, you never know where some of this stuff or these connections or, or something that's going to help you along the way is going to come, right?
0: That's right. Yeah, you never know. And uh, and and it's and there's times where, um, you know, relationships can get turbulent. Uh, and, in fact, they did at one point between and Bob and I where, um, you know, there were some misunderstandings. Uh, and, and he had actually gone and talked to my board of directors about, he actually went so far as to suggest that maybe, maybe Richard and I, who were the, I was the CEO, he was the CTO, maybe we needed to be replaced. Um, and so, yeah, so that, that wasn't the high point, right? That would be the low point of that particular relationship. But, but the thing is, you know, you look at those situations and you have to, you know, take it in context. Um, so if I had, and I certainly felt emotional about it, but if I had allowed those emotions to dictate my actions, then I would have spoiled that relationship and I never would have known what would have come from it or what I would have missed out on um, so so it would have been hard to look at that in hindsight and realize the mistake but but the reality was um he had misinformation, and wow. so because i because i didn't you know allow allow this to to get to me emotionally, we were able to you know long story short, we were able to get to the place where he, where his information is corrected, but we had to, you know, that involved getting this third party involved as a consultant. And it was, uh, I mean, this is one of those things that I have two little girls. And I remember one time they, one of them asked me if bad guys were real. And, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> is what I had to tell her, like, yeah, they absolutely are real because we had a, there was a person inside this company that um, that he falsified information um, and about us. uh, And he, because he basically didn't like our project. It wasn't even personal against me or anybody else in our, our company, as far as I know, but it was, he didn't like, uh, he didn't like the fact that we were there. Um, Some of that's understandable from the fact that, you know, we got all this funding at the same time that that company was having layoffs. So, you know, so nobody likes seeing their friends laid off uh, and then these, you know, crazy R and D projects going to some unknown startup company. Right. So, but, but, but to actually take that and falsify information, that's, that's where, like, that's that's not, that's not okay.
1: Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Um, But that's what actually happened. And and we almost got, you know, like I said, I I had, I had my board of directors contacted to try to remove me from, you know, being leadership of my own company. And, and, but then that, because we were able to mend that relationship and make everything Okay. Um you know when Bob had an opportunity to you know to to look out for us and 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 spread and help us out he he took it and you know so um so but i think any 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 qual- high quality relationship you know it, it probably got tested at some point along the way right like if you think of whether it's a marriage or or a business relationship if you if you haven't had to go through some difficult patch. Then you, there's something about going through that challenge that that uh, that strengthens the relationship, assuming you make it through to the other side. Sure. And
1: um, and I
0: think that's what happened with us.
1: Sure. So so you get acquired by Google, you stay on at Google for almost two years. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, that was part of the deal, okay. um, and that's normal for Google and, and others as well. But but they wanted to see things, um, you know properly transferred over Uh, most of the most of the team that was part of the original group um is still there uh and and but but you know when you are a startup person and you then go work for a large corporate entity even one as nice as google it just and it's it's just I, i just it just wasn't for me and sure. again i mean this is not a negative statement on google it would have they were probably better than than the vast majority of big companies out there it's more of a statement on me that that uh this idea of working in the big company uh environment just i i couldn't imagine anything i wanted to do less sure
1: uh, <laughs> no fair so enough.
0: uh so yeah <laughs> yeah
1: so, so. so
0: yeah so when i got the opportunity to to move on uh you know i made sure i met my obligations there and then, you know, said a very um, thankful, but um, (laughs) positive farewell.
1: Sure. So walk me through, did you take some time off or what, how did you like take that journey up until deciding to launch launch factory?
0: Yeah. So I, you know, so I, I, I did take some time off. I had gone, you know, full steam for a long time. And at this point, my daughters were, uh, four and six years old and, and, and I needed to, um, you know, I needed to be around a little bit more. Um, and my wife had been really, really good at making sure to shift their schedule around. So they still, I still got plenty of father daughter time, but, um, but, but I didn't need to do that anymore. And so, um, so it took some time there and that was, that was wonderful. But, but at some point, you know, taking time off, becomes, well, it depends on your personality, right? Like I was not, I'm not a retiring kind of a person. And so, so it wasn't very long before, uh, you know, plain retired guy was starting to become torture. Um, and so, so I needed to, and, and I'd been, I'd always been thinking about what was my next startup going to be. And, and, and while I was taking time off, I was, I was getting highly involved in the local startup scene and I was you know, for, you know, working with and, and doing some angel investing into local startup companies, and, and that was great. But it's all very much part time. Right. Um, but I was waiting for the for the light bulb to turn on for my next big business idea. Um, and of course, the first business idea wasn't mine. That was Richard. He was right. the inventor. I just really thought it was a good idea. Um, so, um, so the light bulb didn't turn on. But in the course of waiting for it, I started thinking, well, I can start doing some research on on how to improve my odds of success. Because when you go through the startup experience, and I think this is true for the vast majority, if not all startups, you if you really look at it, you realize that, that a lot of your success was due to causes outside of you. Yeah. Uh, there may be some luck involved. Uh, and and there's times where where maybe maybe you could if if things had gone the way you intended, it would have screwed everything up. Uh, and those are very humbling things to, to try <laughs> to, to try to digest.
1: Sure.
0: Right. So, so I wanted to say, okay, well, if I'm going to had the strong desire to go do this again, but I, I want to do it better. I want to increase my odds of success and what can I do to do that? And well, you know, you, you start looking at things and you realize that, um, you know, a lot of things you can do to improve your odds uh, are somewhat universal in, yeah. in, and what I mean by that is, they apply to multiple, you know, lots of different businesses. Um, you know, there's a lot of studies that'll say that the number one cause of startup failure is that there's no market need. Uh, and so, so, so that means that if those founders had done their due diligence properly before they went and invested their own time and money, before they went and took in outside investor dollars, they could have found that out. Right. Now, that's an oversimplification, perhaps, but the point being that if you really, if you really take a diligent path at looking before you leap and really trying to understand what you're doing, if you really look at the business side of a technology business and try to make sure you're executing on that as well as you can, um, you can improve your odds of success. And so so it was in looking at all of these types of things that Launch Factory emerged. When we really, and this is where I got um, my co-founder of Launch Factory to join me, his name is James Herford. He was also a, he was chief of staff of the technology engineering group there. Um, and now he and I are doing Launch Factory. Um, but when you, when you really kind of look at where you need to start, if you want to get the business side right for a startup company? Right. It happens at the idea stage. You have to start all the way at the very, very beginning. And for that reason, Launch Factory, we don't take outside applications to come join us uh, in terms of in terms of people with ideas or they, you know, we're not a traditional incubator in that sense. Um we start with the ideas, we down select to ones that we think are really really good and then we move forward with some incredibly thorough due diligence. Uh, hundreds of hours go into our due diligence before we um before we actually say these are what we're going to do and and then once we have those ideas ready, then we look for the best founders we can have to lead those companies and, and then those founders go through our incubation process. Um, we're small volume, so we did one company in 2019, we're doing two companies this year. Uh, and so, you know, it's small volume and we keep it small for a number of reasons, but one of them is we, if we're gonna, we view our incubation processes as high touch, meaning that we really, really get involved. Um, the founders are in charge, they get to lead, they, do, they have full authority and everything else, but we really try to make sure that that they're fully supported, so they can do the best. Uh, so they can do the best they can stack the cards in their favor, so to speak. So, um, so we keep it small volume, but it's it's it also allows us to fund at a decent level. We put three hundred thousand dollars into each company.
1: Oh wow! Um, so a significant put a, amount of money.
0: Yeah, yeah. Especially considering that these are you know these are this is starting from literally day one of the company. You know, we put in the money um, after it's after the founders have been selected, but um, and but before they've actually shown up to work. Right. And so the founders get two thirds of the equity launch factory retains one third. Gotcha. But then we use we use the proceed. We use we take our third and we actually use that to go back and benefit the company. So. The way we do that is we have advisors and other network contacts and things that we do on our side, and we use our equity stake in these companies as currency for which we can compensate these advisors. Sure. So the kind of advisors we get you know they're not looking for a paycheck uh not not a traditional paycheck anyway they they're looking for to participate in a larger upside right. um of course and we can and exactly. this allows us to provide that and so but this way, the companies themselves they get to the benefit from a much larger team of advisors and and, the, and network contacts than 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 they could have on their own, or Launch Factory could uh, provide just with its in-house staff. So it really is something that um, that that brings a lot of value. Um, and we were able to do this in a way where it's all focused on the company. Uh, and because these are compensated advisor roles, they they we get greater level, we get more of their time. And so we'll, sure. our our advisors come in and give very specific. Um, feedback and instruction and advice to our founders on on how to proceed and whatever their plans are. So, um, yeah, so it, it's, it's something we're pretty excited about. Um, you know, I think, again, I think if anyone who's had a startup experience, they look back, they'll be able to point to a lot of people that have helped them out. And what we're trying to do is create a situation where those people that can help out a given set of founders are there from day one.
1: No, I, I I love that. I think that that's actually, it's obviously like people, I think at this point kind of understand the traditional kind of way, Um, you know, there's a handful of names for them from incubators to kind of launch whatever, you know, like everybody's heard of that. But I think what you guys are doing, you have a unique approach to this whole space, right? And you're right. I think having those connections and kind of advisors from day one, really, really help you to, or give you the best chance of success, right? And and so, no, I, I think that's very cool of you guys. Today's show is brought to you by FreshBooks, an all-in-one small business invoicing and accounting solution. I've been using FreshBooks for over a decade to send estimates for time and expense tracking, sending invoices, and collecting payments online. Then at tax time, I just generate a report that can be sent off to an accountant, to get a free trial of FreshBooks, please go to buildingthefutureshow.com dot com slash FreshBooks. But I want to dive deeper into actually getting a founder recruited. Like, if I wanted to be a founder, how do I actually, you know, try to get you guys at Launch Factory to let me be a founder? Can you walk us through that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because this is you know, ultimately you know, what we always talk about around Launch Factory. It, the founders themselves are more important than anything else that we do. Right. You can, if you give great help to the wrong person, it's not going to go anywhere, but you give great help to the right person and they'll go a lot further. So, so um, and it also, you know, if we get the right founders and launch factory screws things up, meaning we don't get the right advisors or something like that, the company's still going to be fine. Um, Right. So, so the right, the right founders, they compensate for any lack of execution on our side but then any positive contribution they have, they're able to multiply it. And, um, and so, so it's really, really important for us to get the right founders. And so the vast majority of our time and energy is actually spent on helping on that process. And, and so the way we do it, you know, you look around, you think of like what works in terms of identifying talent and what doesn't work. Well, what doesn't work is a traditional job interview. I think we all know that. Um, you know um and and you can do more involved job interviews where you know there's structured interviews or whatever and that that makes things better but it but if, but if you go look at the statistics, that's not it's still not good enough for what we want to do. we need to have all of our founders to be you know, be the right founders um, and so so what's interesting is you go you look at um you look at what has high success rates and i and there's two examples we found. One it's when people hire somebody uh, that they have prior work experience with, so they really know that person. And I think that I think we all know that, right? Yeah, and then funny. two, you go look at you go look at um, you go to look at areas where they're very talent focused, uh, and so so immediately athletics comes up. Uh, where you, if you're going to go be a professional football player, you have to the, your resume and what you've done matters. But you don't get to make the team till you've gone through tryouts. Uh, and same thing if you are, in this something like the symphony, right? You can, you know, no matter what you've done before, you don't get to go join another symphony without a tryout. And um, and this this also reflects how Launch Factory views things. Your resume and what you've done in the past, that's nice and it's, it's really good. And uh, but but it doesn't necessarily tell us what you're going to do it tells us what you have done sure and we need to know what you're going to do Um, and specifically what are you going to do with with one of our businesses and so that's that's where and james is the you know the he's the architect of this but he's done a really good job of of setting up a means by which we can ask candidate founders to show us what they would do with our particular business opportunity now our business ideas are high level enough. There's still a lot of room to shape them. So, so this is not, um, this is not a situation where there's a set of rules or, or a strict guideline they need to adhere to. This is more, you know, Hey, we want to build a business in this area. Here's our due diligence. Here's the the basic concept. Now show us how to implement this in the best way
1: that you can. So how do you come up with those business ideas though?
0: So there's a, there's a number of ways we source ideas. Um, we do we we have internally sourced ideas which uh which the two that we have out now are internally sourced so that means that one of the team members here at launch factory was the originator of that idea but then of course you know like a lot of things uh it was it was shaped by the rest of the team before it got to be what's currently posted on our webpage um but but we really allow the due diligence that we do, the information that we see to help shape the the idea. And this goes all the way to doing, you know, a lot of primary research where we go talk to, you know, the, the customer, uh, you know, the target customers and, and get feedback from them and help them shape what the offering should be. Oh, uh, and and so, so all of this gets packaged up. Uh, you won't see the due diligence package on our web page, but once once founders come into our process they will be given that information and so they they can take that and they can you know uh, interpret that in the way that you know makes the most sense in terms of shaping how they'd implement the business but but what we basically ask people to do is over an 8 week uh time period um, they will demonstrate what how they would implement our business concept okay. and do they have to and, be in san diego then,
1: or or can they do it no. remote no
0: they, this is all can be done all remote. Now okay. that if they, they get selected as a founder, the company will be in San Diego for uh, the incubation process. So they gotcha. will need to relocate to San Diego if they're selected, but, but no, they don't need to be in San Diego to be a candidate. Um, and so each, you know, at each phase, there's a, a down select uh, to move towards the top group. And it all sort of, it all culminates with, with basically a pitch competition where everybody's pitching their variation of the same business, Concept and, and when we've done this before, which you end up with at the end, there's some, um, you, will, you will have a spectrum. I mean, it may all be the, the same business from, from a high level idea, but the implementations, you'll see some significant differences. Uh, and and that's, that's a good thing, right? Founders, totally. we want real founders and founders have to have the freedom and the latitude to shape the company in the way they think makes the most sense and the way that plays to their strengths. Um, and so, so we were very pleased, uh, with, with the way the process went last year. And we're really excited to see what we, we get to see out of candidates this year.
1: Interesting. So do your founders need to be technical or non-technical, or does it not really matter? It really depends on like the founders themselves.
0: We don't put a, a strict requirement on it. Um, so we, we don't, but. You know, that said, you know, you go look at a given business idea, and um, you know, like we have, like one of the ones we have up right now, uh, productize. It has a, you know, it is one that would require uh, a significant, you know, computer science execution component, right? So, so if you don't have that particular skill set in your background, and what we do, by the way, is each company has two founders. So, so, so if there's a skill set that's absolutely required for implementing that business, um, and neither of the two founders have that, they will have to be able to articulate how they're going to compensate for that, right? So, you know, like if I, I don't have a computer science background, so if I told you I was going to build this amazing, highly interactive web page, uh, and, and, and then I, you know, and I told you I was going to do that, um, I would have to have an explanation as to how I'm going to do that since I can't do the coding.
1: Right. So, so then it
0: better, you know, maybe I can tell you exactly who I'm going to hire, or maybe I can tell you a firm that I'm going to use because I'm going to outsource it. Those, those kinds of things can be okay, but it's, but you have to be able to be very convincing that you can, you can solve the problem. Um, and if it's because you have the skill set yourself, that's great. And if, if you don't, you tell us how you're going to get it. And that, that works too. So, um, so that's why we don't require a specific background. Okay. Um, but I will say that that for at least some of these businesses, a, a having at least one team member with with a you know, particular technical skill set will will make their story better.
1: Got you. Okay. No, that makes sense. So, how do you go about actually finding and recruiting these founders?
0: Yeah. So the. So what we we have a number of of means through which we try to get the word out uh, and 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 that's really so it's really ends up being a marketing thing in our case of just trying to make sure that the that our target audience uh, wants to know within within San Diego it's a little easier because we, you know, we have local presence so we can attend, you know, in different uh, events and and do public speaking type things and that can so it's easier to get the word out locally. Uh, outside of San Diego, we are heavily reliant on, uh, on LinkedIn and Facebook and, and other outlets um, to just try to get the word out. And that's something that we intend to do a better job with going forward. um, Because I really think that the, you know, that there's, there's a lot of talent, you know, across the country. And we, you know, we really want to make sure that, that we give access to it. So it's, it's really we do have one thing that we do that's a that's a little bit unique and we'll see. Um it's very much in experiment mode, but but we have what we call launch factory scouts. Okay. So if you register to be a scout, what that means is you know you're not you yourself are not necessarily interested in being a founder, but but maybe you know somebody that is, or maybe you are going to help spread the word. So so what the so if you spread the word as a scout and you end up leading us to find one of our founders then then you'll get 50,000 shares in the new company and everybody oh, okay. that's in that scout chain will. So, so for instance, you know, I'm talking to you about the process. Maybe you go tell uh, one of your friends and they refer the founder that we actually select. Well, then both of you would get 50,000 shares in the new company
1: gotcha. and
0: and that the chain taps at five. Uh, I don't think, I mean, the odds of any chain getting that long are pretty tiny because by that point you've connected to almost everybody in the globe. Sure. Uh but, um, but still, you know, we, you know, it's, so if you look at it, um, if you look at how much we'd be potentially allocating out, uh, the company, it's, it's what it's on par with what you would give a, a couple of very, you know, a, a couple of good strategic advisors in terms of an equity stake. Well, the way we look at it, since founders are the most important thing for us to get right, if you gave us advice on who we should select and you turned out to be right, then that is, um, then that's equity well-spent. And, and it is, it is. And so, so, so this is a, so this is a means by which, you know, others can participate in in the upside of these companies if they help us, if they, if they are instrumental in helping us, um, and in, in helping us get the right founders that ultimately lead to the success. Uh, and so, um, So, yeah, so it'll be so in this case, you know, people are incentivized to spread the word and they're incentivized to send us people to people to be good candidate founders.
1: No, that's that's very cool. So you mentioned you're launching two new companies this year and you quickly mentioned one. But do you want to talk about both companies just to give people a, a, a decent idea of what they're potentially applying to be a founder of?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and on our webpage, you, there's a little teaser slide deck for more information. We're very excited about both of these opportunities. When you look at, you know, I think our original list, were on the order of, I don't know, 50, 60 different business ideas that got narrowed down to these two. So they, they, they had a lot of competition, but one of them is called Simply Independent.
1: Okay. And
0: what Simply Independent, the problem it's Simply Independent is looking to address is uh, when people are at the age where they are moving into, a, they need to move into an assisted living facility. Um, there's quite a few people in that population that, that they don't actually have to, meaning that they could, there is technology available. There are services available that would enable them to stay at home longer, but they don't have access to it either because they don't know about it uh, or, um, or there's, a, there's an aspect of its implementation that is a little bit challenging. So, what simply independent does is it serves as a platform to tie all of these things together to allow people that are at the age of needing to consider assisted living to stay at home longer and you you know you go look at the, that population, the vast majority of them want to stay in their homes they don't want to move to these assisted living facilities and um and so so, if you can enable them to stay at home longer, then you're really helping them out and you're really you're really doing you're really doing a service and in many cases what ends up being is it's a service, not just for the people that are enabled to stay at home, but for their families as well. Right. Because it's, uh, often, it's often their family members that are, are having to do a lot of these things and that ends up becoming a big challenge and a burden on them. And the parents don't like being the burden, the, you know, the kids are, so, and the kids are usually at that point, they have their own children and they have all their own lives and everything else. So it ends up, ends up being an area that, um, is a challenge for a lot of people and and that challenge is is only increasing over time as uh as we get more people in that age demographic that need to move into or consider moving into an assisted living facility so um so that's simply independent of course the way you actually build this platform and roll this platform out there's a lot of different ways to do it the areas that you focus on there's a lot of different ways to do it and so we're you know the, those decisions will be um, made by the founders themselves But, uh, but the timing of this is really interesting because you look at the, you know, historically the, the demographic that's in assisted living facilities was not very tech savvy, right? You look at how things are today and 75% of seniors in the assisted living facility, you know, that age range, um, are proficient with smartphones and they, and, and, And so, so we're now, we're just now at a time where a platform based solution really starts to make sense. You can reach the majority of the market. Whereas previously using a, using a platform based solution where previously you could not. Um, So we're really excited about that one. Um, The market is incredibly huge, right. And it's growing. I mean, this is a multi-billion dollar market opportunity and we have some, you know, more definitive numbers on that in the in the data set that's on our webpage. So so that's one of the businesses. The other business, the one I mentioned briefly earlier, is called Productize. And and so this is one that you know you go ask somebody, almost anybody, have you ever had a an idea for an invention or a product that you think would do well in the marketplace? And and I have yet to find someone that says no to that question. Yeah. Totally. You know, almost all of us at some point. Have had some light bulb moment most of us don't move forward on it um there's obviously there's 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 quite a few people that do but but most of us don't and what's what's um what we would like to see is you know what we did is we did a lot of surveys and and studies as to why people don't move forward on these ideas and it and it really boils down to two fundamental problems one they don't really know how Uh, And, and maybe it's not, they may know part, they may know how to build a prototype, but they don't know how to get into the market and sell it. Or maybe they do know how to get into the market and sell it, but they don't know how to build it to begin with. So, um, but there are plenty of people out in the world that do know each step along the way, whether it's an individual or, or a company. And so what productize does is it connects the inventor or the product developer, the person with the idea, with a network of people that can help them get that product to market, and so this is this is this can be anything from how do you do you know three d printing prototype just to demonstrate whether or not this thing works uh, to how do you scale it to volume to how do you place it uh, and, and on the market and get it to work and so um so it's really this networking thing where where people with product ideas, regardless of experience level, can go on this platform and get their products developed and move it to market and so so, so, they get to be their own product manager interesting and and they get to take it through the number of levels and then you can and then we intend to you know uh bring in some crowdfunding to help support the the economic side because when if you're going to use these service providers, what it'll be is a bidding platform where they can bid the you know the if if you need to get a prototype for example you you upload what prototype you need to have made they will uh supply you know, um you know, bids on how much it would cost for them to build that prototype, uh, and then you can you know you either fund it yourself as the customer or you can employ crowdfunding to to help you get there. Um, it is amazing how much money is was spent, is spent in this country just by at home inventors. Totally, uh, I think there's on the order of 20 million that have actually built a prototype uh, wow. or have ambitions to build a prototype, uh, and you know the total spend is on the order of 80 billion dollars a year. Oh, wow. Um, uh, it's this, you know, and it's it's fun, right? I mean, it's a it's, a, it's a thing that a lot of us have these really cool ideas, and it'd be really neat to see some, you know, higher percentage of these things make it into the marketplace.
1: No, I, I 100% agree with you. So if people actually want to get all the details and, and dive a bit deeper into these opportunities, and actually register where can they go and get all these details and, and look at the the two companies you guys are looking to start
0: so the best place to go is our webpage launchfactory.com and if there's if we have information on the companies there's uh, a lot of detail on what our registration process looks like registration to be a founder of either one of those two companies closes on february 21st um, because you do need because we do look for two founders if you don't have somebody, if you don't, you can either apply as a pair or you can apply as an individual. But if you register as an individual, um, all the people that register as an individual that, you know, um, that would like to can, uh, can look at the other pool and is a matching and all that kind of thing. So, so that uh, matching is anytime. time. So there's, there's a little bit of an advantage for registering sooner rather than later um, to, to, you know, to participate with more matching opportunities. But, um, but February 21st is when registration closes. And uh, we anticipate these companies actually starting in early summer so um so and then there's there's uh, there's a there's there's ways to contact us if there's any additional information that that any, or questions that anybody might have
1: very cool and you mentioned to well earlier in the interview and kind of before we got uh started about um kind of a message that you always try to give to students that I think is worth kind of repeating because I think it's actually really good advice. And I think a lot of people maybe don't realize it or, or maybe think about it. Do you want to maybe mention that as we kind of close the show?
0: Sure. Yeah. And this was something, this was something I learned when I was, so I was getting my MBA. I was, I, you know, I signed up for an entrepreneurship class and, and, and at the time I, I really wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I really was, you know, conflicted about it because, you know, I I didn't know anything about business and I wasn't sure an MBA was going to get me there. So I didn't really feel like I had what it took. Right. And so, so the professor of the class was Giles Bateman. He's a, he was a third co-founder of Price Club, which is now Costco. Um, and so, and he did, he did a really good job of articulating what the entrepreneur experience was like. So, so the semester starts, there's 17 of us in class. He does a survey and asks how many want to be an entrepreneur. Uh, two people said no, the rest said yes. And I said maybe. Right. And so, so but by the end of the semester, the last day, he did the survey again, and, and about half the yeses had turned to noes. The noes stayed noes, and and my maybe went to a yes. And while I never actually asked anybody, you know, any of the yeses that went to noes, it's always been my opinion that that the same reason they went from yes to no was why I went from maybe to yes. Okay. And, and it's just that he taught us two really important lessons. One he phrased it a little nicer than this, but what he basically said is you do not have what it takes to be an entrepreneur or sorry, you do not have what it takes to willpower a company into success. Okay. And, and so, and so, and so th- this is intuitively true, right? You don't get to control market conditions. You don't get to control what your competition does. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's just a lot of variables that you can't really control. Um, so for a lot of people, this was you know pretty disappointing. You know, they were hoping to get an MBA and, and be able to, um, move odds of success highly in their favor. And that's just not, that's just not what, that's just not reality. Right. So, but, but there was another piece to his message that was much more positive, but it's a little bit of a leap of faith. And it was that there will be people. He was very clear about this. There will be people, no matter what business concept you pursue, there will be people that will come and help you out on your journey. And so it's uh, and so, so you have to believe that if you believe the first part, which is you cannot willpower a company into success and you go look at the, you go look at the statistics of what, of how many companies succeed and fail out there. If you don't believe that people are going to help you out, then you shouldn't, you shouldn't go start a business. Um, and so you need to, yeah. And, and you need to be open to those people that help you out and you need to I mean, you need to be willing to take the help when it arrives. Um, and you need, to, you need to be somebody that, that, um, that attributes things correctly. And so, so, so in my case, you know, I mentioned Dan Piat offering to give me CEO level introduction to anybody I wanted to in the space. And I mentioned Bob Peebler providing an introduction to Google that ultimately got us acquired. Um, these are not, those are not the only two people. You know, I could, I, could, I could probably talk for several hours on all the people that came in and made a really big difference some big, some small in our journey. And, and so, so my personal experience is very validating on what, on what Mr. Bateman taught in his entrepreneurship class. And, and I think, I just think that's the, I think that's just the reality of how the world works. And so um, I think the more of us that embrace that mindset, that's the mindset we have here at launch factory, you know, at launch factory, we want to be the first ones that, uh, that are there helping out our founders. And but we know there's going to be a lot more people and entities that need to come along and, and help out our companies before those companies could ever be successful.
1: No, I I think that's actually really good advice um, from from yourself and, and kind of your teacher and and you know obviously founded one of the most probably successful companies as far as I know they're only in North America but everybody I think at this point has kind of heard of Costco right so. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, but we're, we're kind of out of time. So how about we close again with mentioning where people can get more information about launch factory and any other links you want to mention?
0: Webpage is the best place. I mean, you could find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Brad Chisholm in San Diego. You're welcome to find me there. But, uh, but the, but our webpage is really the best place, launchfactory.com.
1: Perfect, Brad. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you, and have a good rest of your day, man.
0: You too. Good talking with you.
1: Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.